Hey everybody, thanks for uh, gathering at uh, Life Church today. If you're watching online, we say thank you as well. Wherever you are in the world, uh, we appreciate you taking time to invest in uh, hopefully uh, getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ a little better. That's what we endeavor to do. We teach from the Bible. We believe the Bible is truth from Genesis through Revelation. We can base our life on it, and uh, we believe the spirit of the living God um, transforms us to become more like Jesus, to model his character. And so um, we hope to model that. If you're a guest, first time, then we've got um, these Connect cards sitting by you. If you're watching online, or even if you're here, you can go to the church website. There's a Connect card uh, that you can fill out the information, and uh, we'd love to get to know you and um, and uh, follow follow your life. And you know, we don't have spies, and we don't have drones, and we don't have cameras. You know, uh, we just endeavor to have a uh, healthy relationship. You know, that's Debbie and I had a conversation just a couple days ago, and we were just talking about. Uh, this past year, we've seen something different, and that is um, in the past when we've had snow, a lot of snow, people would tend to stay home. Or if it was really cold, people would stay home. But we're not seeing that, you know. People want to get together. People want to hang out. And um, we're seeing that at Life Church, and we appreciate um, you folks taking the time and um, and being here and face to face. That's that's a, a cool thing. So you heard it's Valentine's Day. I don't know if you missed it, forgot about it, whatever the case. Hey, um, 44 years ago. I sent a valentine to my future wife. Uh, we weren't even dating, and it had a secret coded message in it. Um, along, along with that valentine, I sent her daisies. I didn't want to send her roses so that she might get the wrong impression. And um, I was impressed because she called me and said, thank you for the daisies. Now, what kind of woman would do that? You know, some would say, daisies, give me a break, man. What a cheapskate. Um, but her gratitude, uh, that was another characteristic uh, that I liked about her. And so within a matter of uh, seven months, we were married. And um, um, so there we have it. Um, but I get it. Um, you may be here today. And you've had a, you've had a relationship with someone that uh, they've basically abandoned you. They've walked out of your life and you made investments in them and you got burned and, and you're, you're wounded. And because of that, you may be here today and you feel like God doesn't love you, you know, and you're carrying that wound with you as well. Uh, I can identify with you. There was a time in my life where I felt like I wasn't good enough for God to love me. I didn't feel, um, you know, I felt like I messed up so much that he could not possibly say and pour his love into me. And I, I tended to push that love away. 
Um, and it, it nearly destroyed me. And I can tell you that when I finally realized that um, God was not lying to me when he said he loved me, he was speaking the truth. And when I finally embraced that truth, it radically changed my life. I have to tell you, it radically changed my life. It was a tipping point. And uh, I want to encourage you today, man, if you're here, if you're watching online and you said, man, I feel like God burned me. I feel like this person burned me and I'm not going to I'm not going to get involved in, you know, extending love to anybody. You know, I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to climb into a cocoon and and call it the end of the day. Well, uh, I want to encourage you that in the Bible, God's word, uh, we can find some encouraging uh, news and let's go to let's go to First uh, John four seven through twelve. Um, if you have your Bibles, smartphones, you can pull it up on U version, um, or you can look at the screen. Uh, take the easy way. Here it is, um, dear friends. Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. So where does love come from? Love comes from God. Yes, it does. That, that should settle it, you know. So many people go looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, we have a world full of people today doing that. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. That When we experience the love of God, it, it radically transforms us. So um, we demonstrate that love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. So God settled it by proving his love by sending his son Jesus to go to the cross to pay for your sin, my sin in full. Why? Because God loves you and me so much, he wants to hang out with us forever. You know, not just on a three-week vacation and call at the end of the day. No, he wants forever to hang with you. So, God, God showed it. He proved it. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. So don't, don't go into the cocoon. Come out of that cocoon and start loving the way God loves you. Demonstrate it. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. It's pretty quiet here today. Going on, huh? What's going on, man? You guys cold or what? Should we turn the heat up? Come on, talk to me. <laughs> I know you guys are noisier online. I can hear that, man. It's more noise coming from the internet than here. So with that, with that encouraging news, let's let's talk. Let's talk with our loving Heavenly Father. Father, thank you today for your love. Your, you, you didn't just tell us you loved us. You proved it by sending Jesus 
to this planet, to be falsely accused, to be betrayed, to be tortured, to carry the sin of the world, to be abandoned by your heavenly Father because God is holy and he cannot be where sin is and he turned his back on his son while he carried our sin. Man, that's, that's incredible love. Jesus stayed on that cross so that that debt was paid in full. The cool thing is that on that third day, he came exploding out of that grave, out of that tomb, because death could not hold him. And for followers of Christ, that is symbolic that we too, we're not, when we die, we're not going to die forever. We're going to live forever when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And we look forward, Lord, to seeing you face to face. I pray for people here today watching online, if they are wounded, if they're carrying scars, that you will heal them, Lord, that they would open up the gates of their hearts and allow you to walk through the corridor and hallways of every part of their being. We thank you for your faithful love, Lord. And uh, as we think of Valentine's Day, you are standing here saying, I love you. Those three words make a difference. I love you. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're watching online, if you're here, you should have your uh, program nearby. You could pull it up on the church Facebook uh, webpage, etc. Uh, we have an outline um, that you can track and follow along, and we always encourage people to do that because we get it. You, uh, you've got a lot on your mind, and your minds can wander and stray, and, and it's good to stay focused. Um, and see what God has to say. We believe God speaks uh, through his word. And, and that's, that's a pretty cool thing. We are continuing in the series, um, Philippians Unchained, the Joy Project. And today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. So if you have a Bible, that's a good place to go. Because that's pretty much where we're going to camp out uh, these next few minutes. February 28th, 1944, uh, we're coming up on to that anniversary. Um, a little Dutch clock shop was raided. An agent of the Nazi Gestapo stood in the living room of Casper Ten Boom's home, his eyes studying the bookshelves in the living room. Casper was 84 years old. He was the father of Corey, Betsy, and others. And uh, this agent said, you, the old man there, I see you believe in the Bible. How could he tell? I think it was pretty obvious. It was true because every morning before they opened their clock shop, Casper would um, grab his brass-hinged Bible and would read a chapter from it and lead in prayer. And that began 
the business day for them. And then as the sun began to set every evening, the family would gather again. That brass hinged Bible would be open and they would take off uh, from where they left off in the morning's reading. Corey remembers uh, growing up in a, in a home like that where her dad read from Psalm 119, 105, 114, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. You are my hiding place. You are my hiding place, Lord. A refugeman, my shield. Your word is a source of my hope. And and Corey remembers thinking, man, what's what's that all about? Hiding place. You know, what's that doing in the Bible? Well, on that particular day, it became a reality. She would discover that answer. Casper, his four children, one grandchild, were ordered out of their home and marched to police headquarters. There they awaited their uncertain future having been charged with secretly sheltering, hiding Jews who were under persecution by the Germans at that time. And so in that holding cell, the ten booms ate a very small meal that was given to them. They huddled together, and the only thing that reminded them of home was their time together in the Word. Only this time, Casper didn't have his Bible. But it had become such a part of him that, once again, Casper held family devotions inside that prison cell. Corey wrote, his, eye, his blue eyes seemed to be seeing beyond the locked and crowded room, beyond earth itself, as he quoted from memory, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word, hold me up and I will be safe. And later, as Corey was... Placed in a concentration camp, she managed to get a Bible and read it to her fellow prisoners. She recalled, the blacker the night around grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned God's word. It was a dark night of the soul, but the light, the light of Christ shone in that camp. She endured the deaths of her father, her sister. She survived the humiliation, the cruelty, and the neglect. But she realized that God's word had made a difference. So what's that about? What happened? What happened to the Ten Boon family? What, uh, hiding Jews? Casper was forewarned, hey, you get caught hiding Jews, you can be killed. He said, I, there's no greater thing to die from. Because he realized that the Jews were God's chosen people. You read your Bible, you find it to be true, friend. What came out when Corey and Betsy were in the prison camp, it came out that they had been betrayed by a friend of the family. Corey was sick on February 28th, 1944. She was up in bed, and Jan Vogel came to the door, asked for Corey. She came down the stairs and said that his wife had been arrested because she was hiding Jews and he was asking Corey for money to hopefully bribe the guard to be lenient with her. All that was false. He was lying. This family friend 
was told by Corey that come back in half an hour and we'll have the money for you. She just sensed something wasn't right with this man, but figured she didn't want to make a mistake, and so she trusted him. Well, within that half hour, the police, Gestapo, raided their home, and they were arrested. Friendly fire, man. You know, a friend of the family betrayed them. How, how does that feel? I think all of us in this room, growing up at times, have been betrayed by a friend, uh, maybe a family member, uh, maybe, you know, whatever the case may be, a colleague at work, a friend at school, somebody in the neighborhood, man, betrayed you. You know, you trusted them. You thought they cared about you. What's friendly fired? Man, that's painful, isn't it? It's a painful thing to have to go through. Uh, we, we could talk about friendly fire um, in the military. I've got pages here, and this is very small print of examples of just World War II, where men were killed accidentally under friendly fire. November 26, 1940, an RAF aircraft bombed the 1st Essex Regiment during Operation Crusader, causing 40 men to die. And then, um, at the end of the war, near the end of the war, July 3rd, 1945, while covering the invasion in Borneo, Australian war correspondents John Elliott and William Smith went ahead of the advancing Australian troops there was a guy in a machine gun nest, and he believed they were to be Japanese troops and shot and killed them both. Friendly fire. And we can go on and on. Friendly fire, what's that about? Well, can I tell you a secret? Friendly fire can happen even in church. And I, you can hear your heart sinking, man, crashing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you go to church for a while, you find out it's true. Um, it's, it's incredible what fellow believers can say about you. And how do you, how do you respond when you're shot at under friendly fire? Have you thought about it? What's your first instinct? How do you handle criticism from somebody else? Uh, we can be honest and say, man, I can really steal your joy, right? That's a joy stealer. And uh, a little secret here, Paul never let that happen to him. It happened to Paul. It happened to him when he was chained to a Roman guard. Was he ticked? Did he hire an assassin to take those folks out? No, 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 he didn't do that. Um, so let's go and read verses 15 through 19 and see what this is all about, the joy in friendly fire. Is that possible? Verse 15. Well, you know what? Let's, let's back up to verse 14. Um, that's where we left off last week. And because of my imprisonment, chained to George, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul had influenced believers in Rome to shake off fear and start talking about Christ. So it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. 
Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether the motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. <laughs> and you're thinking, what? That's not normal, man. You know, is this guy from another planet? Right? I mean, when you look at his response, friendly fire, you think, man, that's not me. I don't respond like that. Well, that's why we're studying the Bible so we can learn to respond like that. Right? So at the end of the day, after today's talk, we're, we're going to start a club. Another club. Man, we, we, we have so many clubs, we're losing track of them. But we'll find out. We have a name for this club, and we'll keep you in suspense uh, until we nail it. All right? All right. So, Paul is saying the church, you know, in, you know, indirectly he's saying the church needs unity. We need to guard our minds and we need to contribute to the unity and the joy of, of church, man. In Philippians 1.4, he said, whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. Isn't it interesting as we jump now into verse 15, this is still relevant Instead of getting ticked off, he's still praying with joy for these people that are shooting at him. You see it? Verse 18, but that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Paul had his share of critics. Listen, as long as we're breathing air on this planet, we're going to have critics. And we might as well just get, you know, settle that, you know. We do not live in a perfect world. I know some of you, man, you get on Facebook and, you know, all your social media and you, you check all your likes, man, and it makes you feel good. And if you don't get enough, man, you crash and burn for the day. You know, what's the matter with me? That's how we live our lives today. That's a dangerous, it's dangerous So Paul is saying, I had, I had my critics. I was getting friendly fire, not from the world, but from fellow believers. That's what he's saying. And so no matter how you read this text, it does sound a little strange, doesn't it? Because we think, oh, Christians, man, they are so, so awesome. They are almost perfect. Right? Yeah. We have our little way of thinking. And Paul, you know, when you look at this, these few verses, he's talking about two groups. He's talking about one group where, man, they love him and they're supporting his ministry and they're, they're going, rah, rah, Paul. And then the, on the flip side, there's another group of Christians that are, man, Paul's messed up. You know, he must have sin in his life. That's why he's in prison. You know? And they go on and on. And so they, they, they're demoralizing. They're sending gossip throughout the streets of Rome to undermine the credibility of Paul. That's pretty sad, isn't it? 
So, number one in your notes, what's my motive? What's my motive? Paul saying it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. What's my motive? And, and I think, you know, by reading this text, it's good for all of us to put, put our motives in the balance and see which way we're tipping. Do we tip towards the, the, the positive, you know, pro-gospel, pro-motive, good motive? Or do we tip over here on the, you know, creepy side? that's why it's good to read the Bible because God puts us in the balance and he lets us know man if we're tipping the wrong way doesn't he he sure does he sure does so Paul is saying there's people that do things with poor motives wrong motives they're preaching out of jealousy and rivalry and it's happening inside the church. And maybe, you know, you look at this, this church right here. <laughs> That's a cool-looking church, isn't it? I don't go to that one. But when you look at a picture of a church, you think, oh, good things all happen in there. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. But inside this church, check out the green light monster. Hmm. Inside that church, there's a green eyed monster living. Jealousy. That's what happens. Do you, uh, are you supporting a green eyed monster in your life? Is there a part of your life, a corner in your life? Nobody else knows about it, but you've got them kind of tucked in there, you know? You can't celebrate the success of other people, another person, a brother, sister, hmm? a colleague. You can't celebrate their success. No, no, no. Because the green-eyed monster is alive and well in your life. So what does God want to do with those green-eyed monsters? Does he want us to support them? Does he want us to feed them? No. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. So... What, what, what are people talking about? You know, uh, I think about George today and and um, we think about the chain that Paul is chained to George with 18 inches. That's that's the length of that chain. Twenty four seven man for two years, 18 inches. Last week we talked about the Praetorium Guards on how influential they were in Rome. Paul could never hold a crusade in Rome and invite all the Praetorium Guards, 9,000 of them, and, and preach the gospel to them. It would have never happened. And so God had a better plan, and he had Paul chained to a Praetorium Guard, each one six hours a day for four different guards a day. And he was able to present the gospel. I think that these men that were preaching with wrong motives were ticked off because Paul was influencing the Praetorium Guard for good. And they wanted that influence. 
They wanted to get into the barracks and influence these Praetorium Guards. And because it didn't happen, and it wasn't happening, because the word on the street was these Praetorium Guards were were experienced the presence of the Lord. They were putting their faith in Christ, and it ticked off these other preachers in Rome. And so they figured, man, we're going to undermine this Paul. We thought, we thought he would be tucked away in prison, forgotten about, but man, that's not happening. You go back to verse 14, and he, Paul, even in prison, that word on the street was, whoo, we can talk about Jesus. You know, to anybody, anywhere, anytime. How is your influence? Who are you influencing and how are you influencing people? I, I can't influence people. I don't have, you know, the respect, whatever. Paul's in prison. He's not going anywhere. And he's influencing the entire city of Rome. So... These guys, they're preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. He's in prison because God's done using them. And he wants to use us now, man. We're so spiritual. Do you feel the pride? Hmm? That's not good. That's not good. So Paul doesn't blow him up verbally, you know. He realizes people need grace, and there's times that you and I can misread motives, you know. We can we can say hi to somebody at church, and it's, they walk by us, and it's like, well, no, live, what, what's their problem? And you get on Facebook and pass that along. In your bottom of your outline, you've got uh, protecting your church. And I would just want to encourage all of us to plug into this with Rick Warren. He, um, six pieces of practical advice. Focus on what we have in common, not our differences. Take the high road. It's not about you. You know, you, as we get into this text, you realize it's about the Lord, man. It's about the gospel. That's the big picture. Two, be realistic in your expectations. Oh, I'm going into a perfect church. No, you're not. They, they, don't, they don't exist. This is evidence right here in Philippians 1. They do not exist. Three, choose to encourage rather than criticize. But God called me to be a critic. No, he didn't. You just ate too much pepperoni the night before. Man, you're messed up. Four, refuse to listen to gossip. This is what Rick says. Gossip is passing on information when you're neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. You know spreading gossip is wrong, but you should not listen to it either if you want to protect your church. Listening to gossip is like accepting stolen property. and makes you just as guilty of the crime. When someone begins to gossip to you, have the courage to say, please stop. I don't need to know this. Have you talked directly to that person? People who gossip to you will gossip about you. I mean, really, that should be a red flare, friend. They can't be trusted. If you listen to gossip, God says you are a troublemaker. Proverbs 17, 14, 17, 4 says troublemakers listen 
to troublemakers. Five, practice God's method for conflict resolution, Matthew 18. Go to that person privately, you know. And six, support your pastors and leaders. Um, that, that's some good practical advice. Uh, you want to protect your church, friend, because like Life Church is the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. You defame the body, you're defaming Christ. You're grieving the Spirit of God who died for his church, the bride. And so Paul is saying, hey, protect your church. Notice what Paul does here in this text. He pivots to the positive. He doesn't camp out on the negative. He pivots to the positive. He said, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. And he's going, rah, with his right hand. His left hand's here. He can't, you know. Come on, George. Let's, let's, let's talk about the good stuff. He doesn't allow the negative to poison him in prison. Man, you think about it. He could just rot there. He, 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 he could be haunted at night. All these guys speaking evil of him. I can't sleep. Man, I can't count sheep. That's why God made sheep, so you can count them. At night. That's, that's when you're supposed to count them. But man, you hold bitterness, jealousy in your heart, you're not going to sleep. You're having trouble sleeping. Maybe you should check your core here. Is there unforgiveness? Is there jealousy? Rivalry? Camping out? Well, number two, a healthy motive example. Look at verse 16. They preach because they love me. For they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Um, so those who preached Christ out of love, spreading the good news with pure motives, knew that Paul was in prison, not because he was a criminal, not because he had some secret sin and God was punishing him, you know. He was in prison simply because he spoke the truth about Jesus Christ. That was his reward. Paul was in prison because of his devotion to Christ. Now listen, Paul could very easily uh, become depressed and full of despair, wallow in self-pity, you know. <laughs> I'm locked up. And instead he regarded his, think about this, his imprisonment as an appointment from God. God put it on his daily planner that I would be in prison under house arrest for two years. That's on God's daily planner for me. Are you good with that? Are you good with where God has placed you in life right now? He's appointed you to be where you are, right here, right now. And he's considering, man, I'm here to fulfill God's greater purpose. That's why I'm here. I'm good with that, Paul says. And so it's easy, you know, to go off the rails and say, man, I, I resent God putting me where he put me right now. You might be in a relationship that's under heavy duress and stress. And you feel full of self-pity. 
and you feel like bailing out, man. Say, God has appointed me. I'm here for, on a purpose. It's bigger than me. If you're going out to Colorado, there's a, um, a motto for the town of Keensburg, Colorado, outside of Denver. They've got over 1,200 people in that town, but they, they're claiming 500 that are happy. I guess the rest are sore heads. So. <laughs> What's the point? You know, they have a few sore heads. In other words, don't let the sore heads influence your experience in our community. And you may bump into some sore head at Life Church, man. Don't let it influence your attitude about the big picture at Life Church. Give them some grace. You don't know what that person is going through. You, you don't know what kind of week they had. And so take the high road and extend grace, man, and say, I'm going to take the high road. You know, maybe they didn't say hi to me. Maybe they look grumpy, whatever the case, smile and say hi back to them. That's what the love of Jesus can do for you yeah. by taking the high road. And that word appointed, by the way, that Paul uses in verse 16, it's a military term. It means that I'm stationed here. So, so last month we had a family, uh, a military family that got moved to Texas. Yeah. You know, they had orders to move. And they couldn't debate it. They couldn't say, man, I don't want to go to Texas. I like Wisconsin. I like this 13 below zero temperature, man. You know, I love it. You know, and you go to your commanding up. Well, I'm, no, maybe we'll consider that. You know, we, yeah, cold weather's good. No, no. He got orders to go to Texas. He's in Texas. He's watching right now. I'm stationed here. I'm on duty here. I've been placed here. And Paul is saying, I've been positioned in Rome by God, chained to George. See, you see that? It's a military term. You, you don't debate that stuff. These are orders. And here, here's the cool thing in verse 16. They preach because they love me. You know, love, that's agape. That's the high road love. For they know, you want to circle that word know, because they didn't read that from some newspaper or magazine article. That word know means to perceive with the eyes, to perceive with the senses, to discern, to observe, to examine. They knew Paul's heart. And they had heard all these rumors from these dudes with bad motives, you know. Oh, Paul's in prison. God's done. No, 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 no. no. We're, we know Paul. We know his character. What you're saying is not true. We're standing behind Paul. We're supporting him because we know God is using him even though he's in prison right now. Isn't that a good attitude to have? Don't be like the rats jumping ship when the ship is sinking. You know? It seems like everybody's jumping ship right 
Now, loyalty is a very, very good characteristic to have as a follower of Christ. I will be loyal to Jesus and his church. That's important. So, so God's allowing Paul to go through this. Omaha Beach, June 6, 1944. Um, Omaha Beach, man, if you, if that, was, that place was a mess. High casualties. The, the leadership had been killed approaching the shore. These, these military guys on, on the shore, hadn't, they didn't know what to do. They, they saw their, their friends and their leaders lying dead on the beach. Machine gun fire all around them. So what's going to happen? Guys back in the ships are saying, maybe we should pull these guys off the shore. But, but, Brigadier General Norman Dutch Coda landed on 7.25 a.m., he saw the death, destruction, and defeat. He said, I saw the dazed, dispirited, exhausted soldiers who had made it across the beach huddled by the seawall. They were leaderless, almost incapable of action. In other words, they were paralyzed by fear. So he said, I talked to myself, and I was scared to death as well. But he walked along the beach like a coach, rallying his players to move up the hill. And what happened was something strange happened because the guys that were watching, he's, he's walking up and down the beach, machine gun fire all over. And they said, man, if, if he can do that, we can do that. And so they got up from their positions and moved up the hill. And you know the end of the story. It turned out to be a day of victory instead of defeat. That's very similar to what Paul was experiencing as well. This friendly fire all around him tried to cripple him, to shut up, to prevent him from accomplishing what God wanted him to do. But because of his bold leadership, even though he's chained to a guard, it encouraged everyone else in Rome to follow behind. That's pretty good. Number three, on a healthy motive example, verse 17, Paul goes back after giving that, that example, and, and, uh, and, and the, those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chains more painful to me. Let's, let's do a little <clears throat> background. So Paul's under house arrest for two years, uh, chained to, to a Praetorium guard. He's released after two years for just a short time, and then he's arrested again, and he's put into a prison, an actual prison in Rome, waiting, awaiting his death. In 2 Timothy 1.8, we see, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, Paul writes, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. See, so so these guys with bad motives, they they were ashamed of Paul. You know, he, he's supposed to be a leader. What's he doing in prison? And Paul recognized that part of that motive was they were ashamed of him. 
With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher and apostle and a teacher of this good news. That is why I'm suffering here in prison. You see, he's, he's okay with that. He's not blaming God. He's not feeling sorry for himself. No, he's saying, I'm suffering here because of, I get the privilege of teaching this good news. And I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard that I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Verse 15, as you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me. Paul's not saying it to feel sorry for himself, to make other people feel sorry. He's just making an honest presentation. Everybody's packed it up. Even Phygelus and Hermogenes. And he doesn't stay there. He pivots the positive. Verse 16, may the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all his family because he often visited and encouraged me. So even though everybody abandoned Paul, there was a dude, Onesiphorus, who, who came, visited, encouraged Paul while he was in prison. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. The point is, Followers of Christ didn't even know where Paul was, and if they did know, they didn't want to tell anybody else about it because they were ashamed of Paul. Onesiphorus wouldn't have anything to do with it, man. I'm going to go find him if I have to go up and down every alley. I'm going to find him. He's my friend. I want to encourage him. Do you have that kind of tenacity, friend? When you can't find out, do you go digging? Are you relentless in accomplishing your mission? That's what Paul is saying here. He had a search all over the city for Paul, and he found him. And these guys with bad motives, man, they were more concerned about their reputation than they were for the integrity of the Bible, God's word. So, number one, selfish ambition. Paul kind of goes through these three items. These people are in it for what they can get out of it. They're not preaching a false doctrine. They're not false teachers. These people are in the church. They're presenting the gospel, but with wrong motives. They want to build a, you know, a ministry with their name on it in neon lights. That's what they want. Once again, we're reminded that Christians can act like this. You know, these are not non-believers. They are believers. It's sad, but true. And I believe Paul wrote this to encourage all of us, even in 2021, that there is not a perfect church anywhere on this planet. Every single one of us has a, we, can, we have a choice. We can, we can operate out of wrong motives or good motives. We get to choose. If you come to church expecting perfect people, you listen, you're going to be disappointed. Okay? Yeah, and there's nobody perfect here. Nobody. 
Nobody. We're, we are endeavoring to grow in our relationship with the Lord. We make mistakes, but we go on because we want to finish strong. That's our goal. We want to finish strong. And so we need to have grace on people maybe whose motives aren't the best, don't we? And uh, number two, not sincere. Their message was good. Their motives were bad. Their methods were questionable. Um, you know, Paul's in prison. How can we follow a guy in prison? You know, maybe he maybe he broke the law. You know, maybe he broke curfew, whatever the case may be. Uh, how can he be our spiritual leader in jail? Yeah, we'll pray for him. <laughs> we'll pray for him. God, take him out. Uh, move him out of here. Maybe, you know, to the other side of the world. We're, we're good with that. Um, that's what they were hoping for. And three, enjoys to torment. These folks with mo wrong motives, they enjoyed torment. Do you have somebody in your life that loves to torment you? No? <laughs> Somebody said, my dog is like that. My dog torments me. <laughs> well, hopefully not. Hopefully not. They intend to make my chains more painful. They had the, they, their attitude was, let's make life as hard for Paul as we can. Yeah, that's what we want to do. Painful, that word painful, circle it, it's a, it's literally means irritation. So keep in mind when, when Paul is chained to this guard, he's got, he's got bracelets on to hold the chain, right? This bracelet, 24-7, you keep moving around, it's going to cause irritation under your skin, right? You're going to get calluses, you're going to get scabs. That's the picture that Paul chose to use, more painful to me, it's going to be an irritation. And you look at what these men were doing to Paul. And they wanted to add to that pain. They wanted to add to that irritation. Just a footnote. Um, when you look at, they preach with selfish ambition. A good parallel verse to that is found in James 3, 15 and 16. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes, For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. What James is saying is if we, if we create a culture in our life for jealousy and selfishness, we open a door for demonic activity in our lives demonic influence instead of allowing the influence of God's spirit in our lives we are embracing instead we take on the character of Satan himself that's not good for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition there you will find disorder and evil of every kind do you know what do you know what that's about um I like to use this illustration. It's kind of like when you embrace jealousy and selfish ambition in your life, you're saying, Satan, you have a bunch of pickup trucks. Go ahead and put every kind of evil, dark thing that you can muster in the back of that pickup truck and dump it into my living room. 
That's what you're doing. Now, I don't know about you, but I would not vote for that in my life. I don't want that kind of influence to you. So we have a choice to make, don't we? We do. And it's a it's a important decision that we allow God's spirit to heal us of jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, <clears throat> this is a glass jar, as you know. And I don't want to get technical, but it's empty. And then somebody said, oh, no, there's air in there. Yeah, I know that. But let's keep it simple. So <clears throat> there was an experiment with a very large glass jar where they put um, scorpions, a hundred scorpions inside a glass jar. What do you think those scorpions did? Those guys, huh? Well, <clears throat> in a few days, only 14 survived out of a hundred. You know why? Because scorpions kill each other. They have no mercy on each other. They, they kill each other and then they eat each other. I know it sounds a little creepy, but, but that is the picture that we need to realize. That's what happens when we open the door to selfish ambition and jealousy. Man, we're living like scorpions. We'll destroy each other. You know, we'll, we'll verbally eat each other. We're, we're, we're into... Um, you know, that friendly fire stuff. And, and that's not good. Some of you know Billy Graham when he was alive. He had a really a spotless reputation. I've read his book on leadership, and I'll tell you what, it's an incredible book on how he built boundaries around his life because he wanted to protect the the image of who Jesus was. He didn't want to bring, he didn't want to defame Christ by the bad choices he made. And so he went the extra mile to, to protect himself. And he had his critics, you know, like Paul, he had his critics and they were out to destroy him. And so they went to look for his finances, his marriage, every facet of his life. And, and, and so Billy was known when he would go into a city, he would have, a team of men that would go into that floor, the entire floor of the hotel, and go room by room to make sure there was not a woman hiding so that they would be photographed with Billy and bring shame to his ministry. He, because there are people like that, friend, to destroy your character. And so in spite of the precautions during a crusade in Paris, France, a newspaper headline proclaimed Billy Graham spends the night with woman other than his wife. They claimed that the hotel registry showed that a woman had was registered and spent the night with him in his hotel room, and they even printed her name. It was Beverly Shea. Um, that's George Beverly Shea, by the way. Um, you know that George Beverly Shea traveled with Billy. He was the soloist. Great is your faithfulness. Mm. And in their effort to defame Billy Graham, the toy tabloids made a big mistake, wouldn't you say? Huh? Yeah. You see how people are out? You know, don't become paranoid. 
No, that's not what we're saying, but that's life. People are out to defame you. Take the high road, build boundaries around your life, and do it all for the glory of God. Father, thank you this morning that we live in a world with friendly fire. And even when we put our faith in Christ, we're not exempt of friendly fire. We realize that, Lord. We realize that we live in a broken world. It's not a perfect world. And therefore, we have people that can be influenced, um, not in the greatest uh, of, for Christ, but uh, selfish ambition supersedes their desire for Christ to be honored, for Christ's fame to spread. And so, Lord, <clears throat> this morning, uh, we're, we're grateful that you did not sanitize the Bible or you, you vacuumed out stuff like this where there are people with bad and wrong motives who are Christians. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, but there are. And Lord, we realize that we need to model Paul's response. that he does not become consumed with these people that are out to hurt him. Instead, he majors on who Christ is and why Christ has him in under house arrest for purpose, for a purpose and on purpose. And Lord, we know you don't make mistakes. And whatever you have positioned us right here, right now, Lord, may we just pause and reflect, Lord, what and how do you want me to respond in this situation? That's honoring to you. Yeah, my selfish, <laughs> my selfishness, man, I, it rises up. I need to defend myself. I, you know, my, I need to protect myself. No, 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 no. God is bigger than that. And so, Lord, today, we're allowing you to talk to us, Lord, right now, right here in this quiet moment. If we're harboring jealousy, selfish ambition, rivalry, is it well with my soul, Lord? And if not, I confess that sin to you right here, right now. I forgive that person, Lord, that took advantage of me that talked about me, that shot friendly fire at me, Lord. It hurt my reputation. But I'm going to let it go today with your help. And so we trust you, God, to do a good work in each one of our lives that above it all, Jesus, you would be honored. <laughs> at the end of the day, the banner of Jesus would be waving over our lives. And we're grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.